Hi, this is Make Do. Why do I sound so squeaky every time You're I excited. say hi? You're excited. It's Make Do. That's why. <laughs> hi. It's Make Do. It's Make Do time. It's... Are you ready to make and do? Because I am. <laughs> hi. Welcome back to Make Do. I'm Julia Scott. And I'm Tiff Arment. <laughs> and we're Wee! super excited. <laughs> Um, if now I, you have to keep that extra intro in. <laughs> uh, if if during uh, this recording I get a little loopy, it's because I I have a cold that's just knocked me over. Um, I'm gonna try to edit out as many sniffles as possible. I wanted to do a little Inktober check-in. I've been loving watching your dot uh, tiff illustrations, but you've been putting them just in your stories, right? So far, they're in my stories. They're on Twitter. Um, have you have you saved them as a highlight on your Instagram? Yes, they are a highlight. Okay, good. And I plan on like when I get a group of 10, I think I'm going to put them on the grid. But we'll see because okay. I'm very picky about the grid these days. I'm, uh-huh. I'm, I'm very artsy about my grid. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, because your grid is very fancy, but also um, you could keep them as a highlight because I also like your how they're like a little. I mean, I guess it's not a strip if it's a if it's a four square thing, but like how some of them are action sequences <laughs> yeah no them. i feel like a dot tiff is becoming a little bit of a you know a life comic uh a little web comic-y and i like that because i've always i kind of always admired web comics a whole bunch and now i'm using her as kind of a an extension of me um I mean, she is me, just a little stick drawing of me, but just I'm, higher resolution. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying expressing myself through her. And even though right now she's focused on Inktober and we draw Wednesdays, which we should talk about because I have some new things to tell you about, but it is something I don't know, I've just been really enjoying it and I feel like it's something very new and it just kind of came out of again one of those situations where like when we started the show and stuff that we've talked about before and stuff that we get feedback from some of our listeners. It's like, I got tired of telling myself I can't make a comic, even Mm -hmm. though like every single time I'd be like, Oh wow, this is really funny. I wish I could just draw this. And now like, you know what? I'm just going to draw it and I'm going to put it out there. And guess what? When you do stuff that you want to do by doing it, it makes it better. So it's like (laughs) the more you do it, the more practice you get and the better you get at doing the thing you wanted to do. Oh my gosh, can you believe it? It works in so many right? ways. <laughs> and also it happens when you do it because it can't happen if you don't do it. That's right. It and I've been happen. having the same experience. We're not even that far into uh, Oct slash Inktober. And I just feel myself like improving by leaps and bounds with, with every day. Can I and say how having... mad you make me? It makes me so mad to look at your drugs because they're so good. You're, like Your illustrations are so nice and clean and expressive and creative. And I'm like, I hate you a little bit for it. You know, that's it's that, how it's I that, feel like, about your paintings. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that good envy of like a friend. It's like, I just, I just hate you a little bit. And it's, well, that's it's how so I feel about, about your paintings. Um, <laughs> no, but it's, it's just, and I, I've really, really like I was I was saying last time that um, wanting to play with more with my iPad and, and really discovering that thing of getting to, you know, like move an elbow around eight times until I figure out what's wrong with it. And I've mm-hmm. really been enjoying doing sort of two layers of sketches, like I'll do a super rough sketch in like a pink pencil <laughs> and then not not always, but when I'm doing stuff that's a little more complex, like I'll, I'll sort of, you know, rough it out. And then do the more specific sketch on another layer in blue. 
I love and that you add the, the process to it too. When on your posts, the second post is the process. It's so great to watch. Yeah, because like it's so much like uh, I recently like with some of them, I'll watch the video myself just like eight or ten times just because like <laughs> it's not just because like, oh, it's fun because I love seeing other people's, but also I can see like I can see and sort of analyze my own process. Like it's interesting to look back and see like where did I get stuck or where did I change something or why does it take me eight times to draw a straight line sometimes? Yeah, I do that too with mine, with like my digital painting. Sometimes I'm like, I don't even know how I got here. And it's like, oh yeah, I went through a lot of stuff. Like I was, <laughs> I was wading through the muck of bad. This banana took a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the secret it's, behind it's a banana tip. Banana. How it, long could it take? Five minutes? Oh, oh, it that <laughs> banana took like, I mean, I think if I go look, I have to go look at the timestamp because that's another thing. Procreate records how much time you've taken on a drawing. That mm-hmm. banana was probably like 45 minutes. <laughs> I'm glad that in the video, it doesn't show the sort of long pauses when you just sit and stare and you're like, what's wrong with this? Where's the problem? But no, I've just really, really been enjoying, you know, experimenting with, you know, certain pictures have tons of detail, like little tiny things and little shadows and little, you know, textures. And some I've been experimenting with the other way, like how little detail can I use and still get across a movement or Mm -hmm you know some kind of dynamic something or other and like how do you understand this because I I think that's really interesting like even both when I draw when I look at other things because with some things like even adding in two or three little detail things suddenly makes like it can make something feel unbalanced because most of it is simple and then there's you know shading or wrinkling and you're like well this just makes it feel weird or it distracts you from the thing that the painting is really about or the drawing is really about and that's just been a lot of fun. And with with the iPad, I can really do that. Like I can add a layer and be like, okay, I'm gonna doodle, and and then I'm like, no, no, I'll just no shading, just get it to the basics. It's amazing how sometimes those little tiny details make or break the drawing, right? Like that's uh-huh. how exactly what you're saying is how I've been feeling too. It's like sometimes you put in that right line at that perfect angle, and you're like, that's all. That just looks. I just I did it. I'm a genius. I'm a genius. Like let's use look at it. <laughs> and then other times you can't get a tiny little like today's drawing. I could not get the little ball arc movement lines right I had to I probably did them like six times and then I finally got the right one and I was like that's it like but it's amazing how a tiny little line at the slightly wrong angle can make everything feel insane yeah or even just like you know you're like well I want you I want to add I don't know some some grass or flowers here and then you realize like no because that suddenly makes this thing cluttered and you wouldn't Mm -hmm. think like two blades of grass would do that but they can so I've just I've really been having a ton of fun playing with illustration, playing with with sketching. I'm just I I love when you get to like rediscover something that you really like. Like you wouldn't think I would need to rediscover it. But I think not just rediscovering, but like really feeling that even in you know, less than 2 weeks, I feel like I'm growing. <laughs> <laughs> no, this uh, this Inktober feels really different for me than the past ones have. I mean, at first it was more like, "Oh, yeah, let me try this." And then I fizzled out like 2 days in, and then the next one I tried it a little bit more. But this one I feel so much more confident and invested in. Maybe it's because I have a theme that I'm going on, so it's it's mm-hmm. more focused and I and I feel like that I don't know what it is, but maybe the season or what it is. Cause it seems like you're in the <laughs> same vein where it feels like all of a sudden this Inktober, it's not just a little prompt project anymore. It's, 
it's more of a, I'm actually getting better at making something and I'm doing it every day and I'm excited to do it and I'm feeling the benefits from it as opposed to the drudgery of this is something I have to do or this is something I should feel like I want to do, but for some reason I don't. I am excited every day to make a drawing and I'm doing it the night before every single time. <laughs> yeah, I'm having that. I'm like, oh, I, I, you know, I get like, oh, right, I should draw. But then I'm also like, oh, I get to, you know, play with this today. And I've even I've drawn every day so far. There was one that I drew and I didn't really like. Uh, I think I posted it in my stories because like you, I'm like, well, this is not quite good enough to go on the grid. But I'm I'm wondering if also it's because last year you did the um, lun- the lunchbox drawings. Yeah. And I'm wondering if it's like because you were doing it anyway and you got to like play a little bit, but you were kind of had that constraint that made you maybe a little less stressed, mm-hmm. but also let you experiment within like a tiny frame. But then you knew that you could do it. Where and then you have so you have that like you don't have like oh I you know I never finish things or whatever which I I think a lot of people freak out and they feel like well last year I failed because I only did ten days and you get again like ten days is more than zero days mm-hmm. and this year you have the theme and you know that you like to do this maybe yeah. I don't know yeah maybe you're right like I it, maybe it is because it kind of translates the the size of an index card is about kind of similar to how I just <laughs> I always just pick the little square canvas uh improcreate and just be like yep just draw in the square this is gonna fit in my instagram like all i gotta do is draw this square i really need to learn to not use the like sort of a4 size paper sized thing in procreate because then i'm always like oh this is gonna look weird in the square on the (laughs) anyway so do you want to talk quickly about we draw wednesdays i do i do i'm i'm coming at it from a different place now than last time i talked to you about it so i'm starting this project um we draw Wednesdays. And right now it's me kind of every Wednesday forcing myself to draw prompts that are basically from friends and followers. And it's been really fun watching everyone try and be as creative as possible to like give me a suggestion that they're going to encourage, like make me draw it. And I feel like some of the suggestions are pretty wild. It's just like, let me try and stand out. And then you get these great little uh, vignettes and these little doodles that are just, um, some of them are sketches, like really quick and other ones are more full blown drawings, but I'm still not spending a ton of time on them in that, like, I want to get through at least, um, five or six for the day. And it's just happens on Wednesdays. So I don't feel like it's a, um, onslaught of, of requests that, that can go on or extend multiple days. It's like, all right, I'm getting the requests on Wednesdays. I'm doing whatever I can to draw them on Wednesdays. And then I'll slowly post them onto the feed of, um, we draw Wednesdays on Instagram. And what I've come to decide with this is that the hashtag and the idea of doing this is something that's a little bit more universal and exciting and, and helpful for the art community than anything else. And eventually I do want to branch out and take it some other places, but I think, uh, anyone else who wants to kind of get in on the hashtag and get in on drawing on a Wednesday and just taking prompts from their friends or their family and their followers to very much like an inktober thing to to just get better to practice Uh to have a reason to do it and it's such a low commitment that's like if it's wednesday and you feel like drawing put it out there get some requests 
draw some things, put them in your stories. They don't need to last forever. You know, you can just let it fly away. And then I figured what I would do is I would grab um, some of the best ones that like I found on the hashtag and share them on the kind of like quote unquote official account, I guess, if you would call it that, because I got a lockdown on all those. So don't even try. Um, (laughs) I did. I have like I got the Instagram. I have the Twitter, although Twitter, there's too many letters um, in We Draw Wednesdays. So it's just We Draw Wednesday on Twitter because no one can have the S because it's too many letters. I've got, uh, I've got the Twitch channel. I've got the, uh, Gmail account. I'm, I'm all over the place. Like I've kind of got it down. So eventually I want to make this a thing. Can you on Twitch, could you set it up to like broadcast directly from procreate or would you need to just like set a camera onto your iPad? That I don't know. I haven't gotten there yet. All I've done was I've locked down domain names. Like I just <laughs> I picked a name for this whole thing and went with it because it was available everywhere. No, I'm just thinking like because you know sometimes at conventions they'll have like a, a, a camera above like a cartoonist's table and then and it'll project onto like mm-hmm. a big screen behind them. So I was just thinking like that, but twitchy. Uh, (laughs) yeah I feel like there's a lot of potential for this and I just I want to make something I want to build something and I want to contribute something to the world in general (laughs) right now I'm very focused on art and I'm really focused on a lot of what the themes of this show have brought out in I think the both of us in that the idea that you shouldn't be afraid to try and that all trying is great and even if it's just like a quick little sketch with your pen and paper and you take a picture of it and you put it on your phone and like it's it doesn't have to be awesome for you to want to share and and for you to want to practice it so that's what kind of this we draw wednesdays thing is for it could be you know a really good artist could jump in on it and be like all right i'm gonna get a request and i'm just gonna pick the one that i like the best and i'm gonna spend all wednesday just drawing this one thing and put it out there and that's that's awesome and that's great and that's like a nice prompt for that one day or it could be someone doing you know 30 different tiny little line drawings with their pen and paper it it could become anything for anybody but it's more of like a community of people just enjoying making something for that day so that's kind of where I want to see it go and dot tiff she comes into it kind of as the site's little mascot where (laughs) she's just super excited to announce every Wednesday in her weird little way that it's Wednesday and it's going to be time for everyone to draw she's 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 not blue she's Steve I don't know (laughs) (laughs) she's tiff she's just tiff (laughs) all caps with a dot (laughs) that that um thing that we talked about about wanting to you know have something and and create something and feel like that matters that I think that really you know struck something with a lot of people and maybe I don't know with the shifting of the seasons or the school like semester thing I think we're all sort of just Pavlov socialized into thinking like September is when something has to start maybe I don't know Mm -hmm. um but it was really interesting to to read um through through the reactions to to that episode because I mean I I think it's a you know, it's it's a human feeling, but I think a lot of people are feeling it right now. So I really, really appreciated you being being open about that. Yeah, I just I have this overwhelming urge to be important with something, you know, and it doesn't have to be important in like a really big way. You know, small communities just like I want to do something that feels like 
it makes a difference and is, I can call a little bit mine, but at the same time, be able to share with everybody in a, in a really cool way. And that's why I, it kind of came around to this. I was holding on to this idea a little bit too tightly. And I think I was strangling the life out of it, trying to make it too much mine. And then when Inktober started and I started following Jake Parker and it's like, I want to be that guy, you know, like Jake Parker is the, um, the Inktober guy. Yeah. And I yeah. want to, I want to, you know, share this idea with everybody. And yeah, some people might not know who started it or why they started it. But the, for the few people that do know, it's like important and he's important and he's doing this really cool thing. And it probably feels really fulfilling for him to be able to share all of this with everyone. It's like, yeah, that's the feeling I want. That's the one I'm <laughs> after. I want that one. So hello. <laughs> hello. We draw Wednesdays. Like you are going to be my inktober. So you heard it here first. It <laughs> is the, the make do brainchild dot tiff uh inktober we draw wednesdays for all year round um i'm gonna try and make this happen and i'll tell you every week how it's going yeah no i i, I really hope because like f for me with how this inktober has been for me i'm really really liking the the sort of idea of keeping that going for more than just like until my birthday and then I sort of you know exhale and go oh thank god I'm done so that's <laughs> I love that's that you fun. count down to your birthday with Inktober it's so cool <laughs> <laughs> but I also radio segue I want you to be open about something else no I've I've managed to convince you to let me harass you about all the things that I want to know about your costume job because this is like I mean you're cool in a lot of ways but this is like <laughs> my inner eight-year-old is like ah because you worked in a is it, would you call, is it a costume shop or like a costume, what do you call it on Broadway? Yeah, I call it, a, I call it, a, I would call it a shop. Yeah. Costume shop. Yep. That is an appropriate term. Um, I feel like I'm going to about to get grilled, uh, but this is, this is fun. This is like the, I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> this is the all about tip show. I don't know. Like you're going to interview the hell oh, out is, of me today. It is, it is. Cause <laughs> no, cause this is so cool. And I don't know if, if like enough people, A, know that you did this and B, probably don't know what it what it entails because I think like with with a lot of the stuff in theater I think people maybe don't necessarily think about it you're just like costumes exist and choreography exists and puppets exist and all that stuff is just like oh you know and because you worked in the place where they make from scratch out of thin air and sometimes design too right uh, no, the designers come in. They are hired by the um, by the shows. But I mean, like they're they they don't they don't just like come out of nowhere, and they're not just like a force of nature. Like somebody comes in and goes, "This doesn't exist. This is how you should make it," and then like repair and clean and stuff like all of the stuff around costumes. And I it's can, so cool. I can walk you. I can walk you through because <laughs> okay. I got to tell you, this is a cool as hell job to talk about because that's what I think I liked the most about having this job was telling people I had this job because <laughs> I I I don't was, blame you because it's one of those things that most most people have a, a standard job that you get a response when you tell someone about it and they're like, oh okay, and that's a that's about it. Um, but with this job, it's like every single time I've told someone about this job. They smiled they go, they, and they wanted to know like more. They like I go, and they're like, 
tell me everything. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there, there's the extreme reactions like you, Julia. But, then there's, but in general, I'm it, sorry. I was uh, I was a theater geek. Go thespians. In, gen- in general, it's an interesting, weird thing to have done or to be doing. So it, it is cool to talk about. Um, so I kind of that makes me miss it a little bit because it made me feel really good to talk about it. And like you and I have talked a little bit about it, but we before before the podcast even started, and and like not this one, not not this episode, the whole show, uh, and also like just the few pictures that you've showed me and posted, and I'm just like, I I I start hyperventilating and vibrating with joy. <laughs> so what what was the the job like? What was your title? What was the what was it called? Okay, so I'll tell you where it was because I think it's a great costume shop. Um, it's Parsons Mirrors, which was, um, well, they still are. They're over in Long Island City now. They were in kind of like the garment district of Manhattan before. That's when I worked for them. They they had a shop there. And I was a firsthand was my title. And that means I'm essentially an, an assistant to the draper. The draper is, some, so, <laughs> all right, let me let me break this down. There are groups of teams all over the shop that get different assignments. And when a new costume comes in to the shop, they um, get handed basically a drawing from the designer that comes from the, the theater, the play. And you look at the drawing, the draper looks at the drawing and they're like, okay, we need to make this drawing into something real first to show is essentially a prototype for when they come in and the designer comes in and says like, I like that. I don't like that. This, I want this to fit this way. I don't want it to fit that way. So the draper will then kind of mock something up in muslim or cheap fabric, or maybe even like a half version of the costume. And as they're mocking that all up, did you use tiny creepy dolls? No dolls. This is a uh, full form, like on a, on a form, but it would be done in really inexpensive fabrics that, you know, they mean nothing. Like they just, they're cheap and they're not the final stuff. And the first hand would essentially during this time be there to, um, uh, like if they needed to be like, Oh, Hey, put together a sleeve, like just a sleeve. And it's like, okay, I could just make a sleeve in my sleep. Like, so you just make a sleeve for them if they need something. And then gradually the draper will, um, decide on, with the designer decide on what the final patterns and everything are going to be. They'll kind of make the patterns and then they'll hand those patterns over to the first hand. And then it becomes the first hand's job to take those patterns and start cutting pieces and gathering things and, and putting it together. And then you like, you get it, you send it to, um, the uh the finisher the like the stitchers and people they'll pin it together and then it will go to a machine operator that will sew it and then the finishers will then get it back and put little details back on and the first hand will then take it back and and put it up on the dress form and maybe make a few adjustments but the draper will look at it at the same time so it's kind of this collaborative effort where it's getting passed from hand to hand to hand based on expertise and first hands being kind of the assistant to the draper can do a lot of like a wide variety of things because they're kind of bouncing around and doing all of the the work that a draper would want to do so one draper might tell you to um do a mock-up yourself you know like make me a kilt and you'll be like (laughs) okay i'm just making a kilt today um but another draper might not have their first hand actually drape something they might have them working on trim or they might have them um putting uh um, Swarovski crystals onto a, um, 
a Rockettes costume or something like that, you know? So there is a variety of things that the first hand gets to do. And I think it's kind of the most fun job because it has no, um, you know, major responsibilities, but yet you get to have your hand (laughs) in kind of everything. So I, I loved being a first hand. It was fantastic. I'm, I'm going to be squeaking a lot during this episode. I'm sorry. Yep, yep. I have a lot of information. Oh, and if you go onto the Parsons Mears website, strangely enough, I helped arrange a, um, a, a web. It was like, you know, in the days of um, web videos that were kind of blogs, but also kind of should have been podcasts, but they were like video <laughs> kind of things. Anyway, I arranged one of those to come over to the shop and do an interview. And if you watch the video, um, there is totally like a baby Tiff in there explaining that whole process <laughs> that I just explained um, on a video. So you can go see that right on their website. <laughs> yeah, because this is this is very much um, one of those jobs that you tend to see clips of on certain YouTube channels like um, variety mm-hmm. or like where you're like oh this is you know the day of a Moulin Rouge dancer or this is what goes into a ballerina's shoes and this is totally one of those things so how do you how do you get there like how, how did you wind up there um all right so my my theater uh I don't know what would you call it? My theater metamorphosis story essentially started with, um, I was a double major English and theater in college and I decided I wanted to be a director. Um, that's what I wanted to be. Uh, I love the idea of taking a script and making it real and putting all of the emotion and the, the blocking and, and everything into it with, with a whole group of actors. So that was kind of like my goal, but to be a director, you can't just like, Hey, I'm a director. You have to learn a lot of stuff first and you need to be into a a lot of rehearsals. So I was a pretty organized person. And so I started being um, a stage manager in order to get close to sitting next to a director, because essentially a stage manager is the um, technical side of any director. Uh, The stage manager is directing the entire crew and running the shows and, um, uh, leading all of the keeping rehearsals, all the notes of everything that they're keeping all the notes. They're kind of more in charge than the director, really. But the director's making all the creative decisions, while the stage manager is implementing all the technical choices that the director has made. Yeah, like the director makes all the artistic choices, and the stage manager makes sure that a they're implemented, b they're possible, mm-hmm. c that everything runs. Yes, so they are very much in charge of a production, and. I started really liking being a stage manager. I liked the power. I liked calling a show. I liked being involved in a little bit of everything. And so I got an internship in Manhattan um, at a small theater company called The Pearl. And I um, I was a stage management intern there. And I got that through essentially just doing a lot of college productions and talking to anybody who came in to like work on it. Like there was this lighting guy who was there and I was taking a lighting class at the time. And so I just started nice, like talking to him and hanging out and like helping him um, hang lights when they said, Oh, we just need some volunteers to help hang some lights. And I'm like, I'll climb a huge ladder with a giant light and almost kill myself. Sure. So like, I just got to know this person and he was working at a theater in um, Pittsburgh. And he was, uh, oh, hey, we need a light board operator for the summer. And I was like, I'll do that. I can push a button when someone tells me to push a button. So (laughs) I said, sure, I'll do that, even though it had nothing to do with what I really wanted to do. But it kind of got me in on the good side of this, this person. Um, I worked at that theater. And then 
it turns out they know someone who knows somebody. And then when you send in applications, all of it kind of helps with like connections, but it's just basically being a, a good socializer and also a good worker and just being like, I will be there on time. I will carry the heavy thing. I will stay late and I will do it. Yeah. Cause you do not want to be a stage manager. If you, if like, if you don't want to, you know, carry things, get too little sleep, mm-hmm. all of the boring stuff. Oh, it's, it's so much hard, but you have to be quite the workhorse in order to, do a lot of this stuff and even though theater is such a collaborative art you really do need to like pull your weight you can't be the person that doesn't show up because everything falls apart and then all the weight falls onto someone else's shoulders and then they won't recommend you for a job so through like various courses of getting to know people and moving around different jobs I ended up getting this job at an off-broadway theater in Manhattan and as I was there I kind of realized I don't like being in rehearsals all the time I don't want to be a director I don't want to be a stage (laughs) manager this isn't working for me at all and my grandma when I was little taught me how to sew and then my godmother taught me how to sew like a little bit more how to sew and so I told them in that theater I was like hey I know you have a costume shop that needs people I know how to sew so when there there was two interns and so when I wasn't being like the main assistant stage manager I was like, send me to the costume shop. Just send me over. (laughs) And I went over there and it was great. Like I loved hanging out with everybody there and like essentially just talking and sewing. And I just, I fell in love with that, 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 I don't know, that, that environment. And And you also, I think sometimes, I think people maybe don't realize that also costume, it's not just like, oh, it's dresses and suits. It can also be some really interesting, like engineering and problem solving, Mm -hmm. like how, like there's no time to change this or we want a really fantabulous, you know, this dress has to magically transform or I once in high school had to figure out how to (laughs) like mount magnets into the back of like a, a waistcoat so that, uh, a book with magnets in it could fall out so that it looked like someone had been stabbed in the back through a book. Like, how do you, you know, all of that weird stuff. So there's still a ton of like problem solving. Figuring st- mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I, yeah. So oh, especially, well, especially <laughs> because it's theater, right? It's not real. Like stuff is happening on stage that can't possibly be real. You're not just making a, a button down shirt for someone to wear. You're, you're making a button down shirt to be peeled away in the full Monty and being like, wah, right? Like there's like all these different weird things that happen in a play that would never happen in real life, especially the idea of incorporating things like quick changes. It's just, it's really cool that you have to still problem solve and engineer clothing. And so I got really into that idea and being that I was like, okay, I really like doing this. I like being in a costume shop, but I have no idea what the people above me are actually doing and how they're creating the things that they're do- they're creating. So I decided I need to learn draping, which is something I never um, had a course in anywhere at all. It was just like, oh, I can push some fabric through a sewing machine. You know, that's the amount of sewing I was able to do and do some hand stitches. So I took a draping course at FIT in the city and that was only a semester long and it was just one course. And that kind of like gave me the beginnings of this is how you make a pencil skirt. This is how you make a darted bodice. This is how you make, um, all of the very standard things, um, that you would need to know how to make and tailor to somebody. So after I took that course and I learned how to make patterns from that course also, it, um, it then started me on like, I just tried to get any costume job I could find anywhere. 
and I ended up in Massachusetts and I ended up in Cortland, New York, and I ended up, um, just all over the place. And again, meeting people, working backstage, doing quick changes, working in the costume shop, working on the wardrobe crew, which is different than the costume shop. Um, they're the people that are actually like running the shows and pulling the clothes off of the actors very quickly and then washing them all night long. Um, Spraying them with amazing amounts of vodka. Oh yeah. So much, so much Vladimir, so many, so <laughs> many handles, plastic handles of Vladimir vodka that we did not drink, but we spray it all over clothing. Uh, <laughs> there's so many little tricks, but it's just like a lot of time doing all of that stuff and meeting people. And eventually when internships and everything started to end and I was ready for like a job, I knew someone that knew somebody that worked at Parsons Mears. It was basically um, someone who was in the job before me. So like the people that were still there who I made best friends with, they're like, oh, um, I think his name was Maddie, actually. He's like, they're like, Maddie went off and worked at Parsons Mears. And I was like, ooh, tell me about this place. And they're like, oh, it's a costume shop. They were famous for cats. They kind of <laughs> engineered um, the the whole like painted spandex technology for cats, basically. <laughs> and like, that's what made them really famous. And so that's what that this particular shop was really good at was um, painted unitards, which is kind of amazing. Um, everyone, everyone needs a gimmick. They do. Well, different shops did different things. Like there was another shop that was very, very be- like good with um, hand embroidery and hand beading. And so like if you needed heavy that kind of stuff in your show, you went to this shop or like so. But they all kind of had their specialties. And this one that's why we did so many rockets and we did the um, Mary Poppins with like the statues that look like they have these big muscles and stuff and so it's a lot of painted spandex anyway uh (laughs) (laughs) so because this other person who worked previously who I never even really met had worked there I was like all right I'll go and um I'll put in an application and see how it goes and I did and I mentioned oh I know this person even though I really kind of didn't um it was still just an in, like a name that you could put out there that would make some sort of connection as opposed to like, oh, this is just some, you know, Jane Doe off the street. Uh, and I got it. Like, I can't believe I brought in my portfolio and a costume portfolio looks a lot different than a regular portfolio. It has a lot of pictures, but then it also has fabric samples so that they're able to see the type of fabric that you would have worked with and how difficult it would have been to create huh. the the garment that you have a picture of if it looks particularly um you know detailed and interesting and it's made out of some like slidey shifty fabric then they're like oh wow you know you can work with this this is really nice to know um and so that's you know I brought in and they hired me and I do remember my very first day at the job and my draper asking me to make a kilt and standing there like a deer in headlights like oh my god I do not know how to make a kilt and And kilts have like a ridiculous amount of folds like if you don't know oh my gosh so and, and especially if and it was patterned. for wicked it was a kilt for wicked and i was just like, like i don't know what i'm doing and i remember staring at that thing for two hours doing nothing but trying to like figure out what the <laughs> heck i was supposed to be doing with this kilt and i eventually asked and i eventually got showed and it was it was a big learning experience but that's kind of how I came to this job and I stayed there for a few years and, uh, and I got way better very quickly because I mean, you're kind would, of thrown into so. it. <laughs> you're literally thrown into it. <laughs> how, how long is, is a few years? It is a tumultuous time because when you are part of a union, 
Um, and I was part of the Ladies Garment Worker Union. Well, it kind of became a bigger thing, but that's what it originated as. When you are not senior in a job and there is a lull in work, you get laid off. And this is what happened to me often because I was the newbie. So the new people essentially go first. And then, um, you know, when the show, when it, when the shop kind of amps back up again and has lots of work, you get hired back. So they kind of expect you to wait. So there were multiple times of, okay, I was like laid off for a month and then I went back and then I worked for, you know, seven months and then I was laid off for five months and then I went back and then I worked for like three months. And so like, it was kind of all over the place. I need to look up my years, which is something I did not put in my notes because I don't know, I was young. It was, it was a few years and, um, on and off for a few years, but I, uh, I really, I loved it. I loved the job. It just got to be too much of the, okay, now you're working. Okay. Now you're not. Okay. Now you're working. And then once Spider-Man hit and everything went crazy with Broadway, there was a lot of no working. And I eventually had to decide, like, am I waiting for this job or am I moving on and doing something else? And I decided to move on. I feel like I, I want to put in a parenthesis here that the Ladies Garment Workers Union is actually super important in the labor history of both the world and the U.S. Yes. And if you want a special little... um lecture from me about this which i can and i've written about it um we can do that at a later date but oh well then you know that they joined with the hotel workers union and the hotel workers ended up spending all of our money into the ground and basically making the union bankrupt and then left they got kicked out and we were left with like this crappy messed up union anyway um (laughs) so that's where (laughs) like i was yep so um one thing that struck me like was there anything in particular in your portfolio that made them go, ooh, ah, or was it just like a, a, a body of work that was good? I think it was just like, you are a capable person um, <laughs> and you are here and you are willing are to work. You are right with us, kid. <laughs> yeah, because honestly, there aren't a lot of people showing up who are like, hey, I can sew. I mean, it, it's it's not really a skill that and are- who can really show that like they've 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 sort of proved that they're a hard worker they will show up you know Mm -hmm. yeah there's it's not um it's not a highly contested job it seems much more prestigious than it actually is but in order to gain the skills to get there and the desire to do a job like that there aren't that many of us (laughs) so it uh and, and it's not to belittle that it was difficult to get this job. Like, I'm sure there were plenty of people that applied for a job like this and didn't get it, um, maybe during times that it was, like, full up and, you know, they didn't need anybody. And, again, it, it's that it's that up-down, tumultuous uh, timeline of, of Broadway shows that, like, when there's a big show to be made, there is all the work in the world. And when there isn't, when all the shows out there are just, like, shows that are being shopped for really cheap and they're just buying, like, 30 pairs of jeans – there's no work for people who are doing specialized, essentially couture costumes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a show. Uh, I'm just off the top of my head, like a show, like I don't know, Rent, where it's just like these are clothes. Mm-hmm. That's what they are. So you need someone to like buy them, repair them, clean them, but you don't need someone to special which is a different sew. union. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't need someone to like sew a very special scarf that can also fit fireworks. It's just like yeah. you can go get the stuff at like 
I don't know, H&M urban outfit. Like you just you, you get clothes. Whereas whereas Wicked or, you know, Book of Mormon, it's just like shirts and ties. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas something like Wicked or, you know, something with big fancy costumes that are very much like a the, the clothes themselves have to be made special. You can't buy the giant pink dress, but then they also have to be made to fit, you know, maybe uh, well, an every- actor, probably yeah. an understudy, all that stuff. Well, everything's made to fit and everyone gets their own clothing according to union rules. And also whenever there is a new person in the role, they get new clothes. Or if the show opens up in a different city, they get new clothes. Uh, So something like Phantom is a big moneymaker for a shop like Parsons because it's running all over the place. It's traveling. it's, It's constantly somewhere. And the gowns for that can cost up to $60,000. Oh, good Lord. Does the shop have like the rights to it? Yeah. So what happens with the shop, the way the business works, it's kind of like um, a bidding system where a show will come to uh, will be starting to be produced. You know, the producers with all the money um, have an I they they back an idea for a show and then all the design people get hired. Um, when it comes to costumes, the costume designer draws out all of their designs and then these designs get taken to all of the various shops that are able to create the costumes. And what happens is there's kind of a bidding system. Um, A place like Parsons will then say like, okay, here are 30 costumes that we know our shop can produce. This is how much they will cost us to make. And so this is how much we will make them for. Um, And they put the bid out and other, and so you can get a shot. You can get a show that's made by, multiple different shops all over the place uh, because Because someone's good at spandex and someone is good at mechanics exactly exactly so um you know you 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 do the costumes that you're good at and sometimes if the shop thinks that oh this show looks like it's going to be a giant hit and i'm probably going to be making it for the next 30 years they (laughs) might underbid the first bid in order to get those costumes. So it's kind of like a bit of a game because the shop could lose money if you start underbidding too many costumes in order to get the bid. Or if you, um, you know, are overbidding. Like, this is Andrew Lloyd Webber. This is going to be touring for a decade or two. Yeah. And so everything's kind of a gamble. Everything's a big investment when it comes to theater. It seems like it's entertainment and it's art, but Broadway, it's like this really animalistic uh financial game you know it's a it's a volatile game so a show like phantom so um we did a lot of christine's dresses which like i was saying are upwards of sixty thousand dollars like because they get silks imported and hand printed in new zealand we're making the bustles um from scratch like totally building everything from nothing nothing is shopped everything is built per person and so you need a new christine dress she gets a new bustle she gets a new bodice she gets a new um everything and all the trim that gets imported and put onto these dresses it it can it gets insane um there's so much fabric waste because certain parts of the costume need to be cut out from certain parts of the fabric so everything lines up perfectly it is a giant giant thing to create one of these because the, the what, what i think is fun about theater is sometimes it's kind of like like food photography almost where it's like you need something that looks more like the thing than the thing 
and things need to look good with certain lights or like this mm-hmm. is going to need to be seen from above or below and all that stuff where you have to know all those things as well, which is really, really cool to to like, you know, like you, you might think like, hey, it's, you know, it's just a corset. But it's like, yes, but it needs to A, make the actress look good, B, let her sing in this particular case mm-hmm. and maybe need to be taken off quickly, but still look like a re- like, you know, there are so many so many cool moving parts in in a costume and you can't you can't do that thing like photographer like um fashion photography you can't put clips in the back to make something fit really nope. well <laughs> nope <laughs> well that's why it's it's literally made for every single actress like they come in have fittings um test it out before they go on with it and they make sure every part fits as they are building the costume and it's absolutely perfectly tailored. Um, so what, what I was saying with something like a Christine dress, um, every time there's a new Christine, there's a new dress bed getting made. So this is a very profitable, good thing for the shop in that these things kept getting reproduced. Um, another example of being perfectly made to a person, the Rockettes, um, anytime that they have costumes that kind of make them look, uh, they look like they're not wearing much. Maybe they're just kind of covered in diamonds for their like 50th anniversary one, which I helped work on. Um, they, uh, they're actually, there's a lot of hand dyed skin tone, um, flesh net that is all over the costumes. And every single one of those girls comes in gets their flesh tone matched and it gets hand dyed to match exactly their skin color. So from stage, they look like they're not wearing as much as they're actually wearing. Every time that there's a a new girl, she needs to come in. um, Or I should say woman. Sorry. Sorry. I hate when I do that. Every time there's a new woman. I mean, Rockettes, you kind of have to. It's like built in. Yeah, I guess. They're They're gals. They're gals. so every time there's a new one, that also sounds bad, but they would need to come in and get a brand new um, costume because it's not going to be, even though they have such similar sizes in in the sense of they're a rocket, it is, uh, it's imperative that they get a brand new costume um, that matches exactly them. And so that is um, one of the things that the shop does. And so you're not just making new stuff all the time. You're also repeat making things. Uh, and also, speaking of very particular sizes, you discovered that you could have been a rockette, didn't you? Oh, yes. Well, I was the lucky <laughs> one in the shop because I had the long legs, <laughs> like unlike almost everyone else in the shop that could um, try on a lot of the try on I should forced into I don't know the uh the rockets (laughs) things there is this one particular one with like stockings and like this thong kind of thing it was it's kind of weird to go into work and have your boss the owner of the shop Sally M. Parsons be like Tiffany you need to come in here and put this thong on like it's like (laughs) what (laughs) like this is this is part of my work day um all right I guess I'll uh because they had they needed to see the height and the the I don't know they just I'm in the I'm in the dressing room all the lights are on me the drapers walking around me poking at me it's just this whole thing you just become basically like a living dress form when you're doing stuff like that it sounds really fun and glamorous it starts out pretty embarrassing but then sometimes you get to put on like the big white christmas dresses and you're like wee <laughs> or like one of the um bet midler mermaid costumes or something like that and it's <sighs> it's super exciting <laughs> yeah because there, there are so many things in certain types of jobs where people are like oh it's so glamorous and like yes but also very much no like i had to make sure i had my legs shaved like every day because <laughs> you never know <laughs> this is the thing that i'm saying like 
this job was so much fun to talk about. And it was pretty fun to do. Honestly, it really was. If it weren't for all of the layoffs and the long hours and like sometimes the divas coming in and being like, oh, my God, you need to make me an opera dress for like tomorrow. And you're like, oh, I had to stay overnight and then all day Saturday <laughs> and all day Sunday. It's just like that kind of part of the job and the low pay. It doesn't pay great. Um and in order to move up, there isn't a lot of mobility when it comes like to this someone. Kind of someone job. has to die, basically, because the Drapers last forever. Like the movie Showgirls, like you have to knock someone down the stairs. Yeah, because <laughs> when you're a first hand, the only other place to go is to be a Draper. And let me tell you, the Drapers have had their job for like 20 years, and they're not letting it go. So <laughs> you're basically expected to be a first hand, back and forth, in and out of the job for a very, very long time. What was the what was the nuttiest project then? Because you said like somebody wanted an opera dress for the next day, but like you know, working overnight or when you suddenly like have to make, I, I don't know, eighteen self driving tuxedos. I, I don't know. Like what was what was something really really bananas? Um, bananas was working on Shrek because the <laughs> designs for Shrek. We were doing the Dragon Girls, and they were just bonkers and we made all these crazy costumes and again like they got so out of hand and really weird and uh, they're getting approved by the designers as we're going along and we're making like 30 of these things there's just so many of them and then it gets all gets cut like after all of the work all the materials everything they're just like yeah this doesn't read well like during dress rehearsals and they're like it's gone and we're like oh no <laughs> Um, what do you, what do you do with those costumes then? I don't know. I never saw them again. I don't want to see them again. <laughs> uh, my bloody fingers didn't want to see them again. Um, I worked with, uh, Sherry Renee Scott for, um, Little Mermaid because she was Ursula and we did the Ursula costume. And so I guess the coolest thing was I helped build that costume and I helped, um, work on some of the mechanics of how the tentacles kind of go up and, and move in and out. And I, I was very pleased. I was like a big part of that team and, and figuring it out and the, the, yeah, basically the technical work of it. Um, and I got to show her how to like use her own costume, which was pretty neat. Um, and we had to build her a giant fake butt. That was also really fun. I liked walking <laughs> around in that. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to somehow. I do have these pictures into yes. giving me as many pictures as possible because it's like I've only seen like a handful, but just those are like amazing. <laughs> uh, I, I cannot guarantee you thong pictures, but we'll see. Oh, no, there are no <laughs> pictures in the thong. I do have some mermaid pictures, but yeah. So uh, is there like what what's a technique that either people may not know about or that just sounds nuts, like so, some way of dyeing things or painting things or putting things together hmm um there are nylon rods that we use a heat gun on in order to bend them to make hoops for hoop skirts or um cages uh to put into the um boning casing to make bustle cages and various other kind of weird uh, period pieces so that that was kind of fun that you got to sit there and basically melt plastic uh there was like a whole glue room for like gluing all kinds of toxic stuff together um you had to have your own um respirator mask in order to work in there and i use that often there uh you have to use um a hot plate like um like a you know a pancake griddle to uh -huh. heat up 
um, adhesive Swarovski crystals in on mass. So you like lay them all out upside down and you take little tiny and they're heated up on this giant like griddle and you take little tiny tweezers and you glue them onto costumes. Um, sometimes they burn and it smells horrible. Like the glue burns. And so the, yeah, that's like hundreds and thousands of dollars <laughs> worth of crystals all over almost everything. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think there's like a lot of weird random melting and, razor blade cutting and <laughs> some of the things you just kind of oh i know um we use air conditioning foam inside of a lot of costumes to create volume the stuff that expands no no not uh not spray foam it's like uh it it's you buy it for air conditioners like as a filter and you can get it in various thicknesses and it comes in big sheets and what we would do with that is we would cut out muscle shapes in them and then shave them down with razor blades to be like perfectly smooth and round and everything. So you are essentially doing like carving. Um, just like making pads. Making pads, yeah, of various sizes and shapes. And those pads would then be fit to an actor precisely where their real muscles would be. So they would be put into a like spandex lycra white suit. It would be uh, during their fitting, you would draw out where their muscles sit so like you know their arm length where their abs would be where their pecs would be like everything on them so it would look real and then we would take that suit and you would make the muscles on top of it and stitch those on and then put um, the spandex back over them and then that would all get hand painted and hand toned to look exactly like they are built up and so that was like a whole nother process of of going through all of that and that was it's one of those things that the results look amazing on stage but the idea of like, oh, yeah, I just, you know, grab some air conditioning foam and a gigantic <laughs> like 600 pack of of uh, single edge razor blades and went to town here um, that, you know, that could be like my entire I could spend a month making muscles like and just shaving air conditioning foam for a month, you know, like and I love that. I love all of those like crazy, just little tiny um, just busy work with your hands. It is so much fun. I somehow want to get you on Adam Savage's show Savage Builds because that's exactly the kind of stuff that they do sometimes but just like putting together because you know like how he both builds weird mechanical stuff but also does amazing cosplays for like I want you to go to Tested in San Francisco and just like play in their construction shop uh, <laughs> is there any kind of tool that would really really surprise people to find in that kind of shop because you know like for instance like I have you know I have turkey carver <laughs> Okay, good. Like an electrical one? Yeah, an electric turkey carver. It was very good for for the pads. It was very good for foam, for like larger pieces of foam and stuff. That was uh, absolutely necessary. Always have to have an electric turkey carver. (laughs) (laughs) What was the best part of of being there and doing that? Um, Was it just like getting to invent weird stuff? Yeah, it was, it was. I like the problem solving and then I really liked the busy work. I I really enjoyed like when we got a show like South Pacific where there's a show in the show and we did the the dress the I shouldn't even call them dresses. They were barely even clothes, but it had to look like that the girls on the island made their costumes out of whatever they had and then they put on a show. And so the idea of getting stuff like fabric printed to look like old cigarette 
boxes and gum wrappers and, you know, palm fronds and all this kind of stuff to make it look like it was made, but yet you're making it and it has to be a structural garment and you're using like ropes and you're using the technique of, of like making uh, gum wrapper chains, you know, like I'm like, Oh, I know how to make these gum wrapper chains. I bet you they would have made that out of their costumes and made these things. And But so it has like, to be able to like be, be put on and taken off over and over again. So it's not like a, you know, like a, a um, RuPaul's drag race challenge, which right. like you glue it on and then you oh, just have no, to walk glue. up and down the, no, glue. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Like, even if you can attach it and then it just has to survive like a day. Exactly. Yeah. It does not have to survive a day. It has to survive much longer than a day. And there was even a show that we had to make sure that the costumes were able to go underwater. Actually, that show is still running in Las Vegas. It's called La Rev. And there, it's the stage. And then there's this pool. Is that a, a Cirque du Soleil? No, it's not a Cirque du Soleil show. It's something else. But we had to, we, they imported the pool water from Vegas to show us like what the chlorine consistency and everything was. And in order for us to <laughs> test out the painting of the fabric so that we knew it wouldn't run and we were making everything out of neoprene. And for anyone who doesn't know what that is, that's basically wetsuit fabric. Uh, and, but yet we had to make it look like not a wetsuit. So we're like building men's clothing out of like neoprene. It was like formal clothing, you know, like a, a tux. Uh-huh. And it was crazy. And then we had to see like how it got wet and what happened to it. So there's all this testing. So all of that kind of problem solving is a really fun, cool part of the job. And then finding out that there's cool processes out there like laser cutters in order to cut something um, a 10,000 times as, you know, as accurately as possible. But then having to think about like how to tessellate these shapes together so you're getting the most out of your fabric. And it's, it's a lot of um, really cool problem solving. But the stress of it came from you're still an hourly worker. And you are getting, you're essentially billing the client hourly and you have a bid limit that the shop put in. So if you, they don't want to pay you to think too long. (laughs) Yeah. You spend too much time and you cost them too much money. You're in big trouble. Like it's a problem. So, so that was like a little bit of the, that was some of the stresses of the job. It's like, be as creative as possible, but within these constraints, you know? (laughs) So what about in like in, in general, what were like what what was not as great what was what was hard um sometimes the the stresses of working with creative personalities is hard um <laughs> and being a creative personality i'm i'm sure i hard. don't understand at all what you mean <laughs> uh that could get stressful there were definitely um sometimes yelling matches uh here and there there were tears um you know there's it's a it's an emotional environment at the same time while it could be still like a really fun jovial environment so it's it's a lot of up and down it's it's a very creative cool place to be but then it can be really stressful and daunting and exhausting and like maybe you don't feel creative that day or your fingertips hurt because they've been poked too many times like it's also a little physically taxing because you're leaning over a table you're constantly doing this work you have on a respirator you're hauling stuff you know you have to run up town um with a giant costume and make sure it gets fit and then run back downtown make a make a change like during a dress rehearsal and it's just there's a lot that goes on Um, and I think it's sustainable if you don't have a lot of a life outside of this kind of world. And I was getting the feeling that like the costume shop B 
becomes your life. And I think that that's one of the reasons why I decided on one of the lulls of going away, um, or being laid off was I need to now find something else to do because I can't wait a whole year to go back to work to something that I'm not sure is even going to be there for me, you know? Mm-hmm. So. And what you moved on to is going to be a new episode. Yep. Um. <laughs> and that'll be our episode on photography and starting a small photography business. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, like, aside from all of the cool techniques and, you know, getting inventive and learning to sew and drape, what what else do you think you took took from it? Like, what did you take take with you from that? Um... I took with me these, like just the skills of sewing and working with other people and creative problem solving when it comes to fabric and building things. And I mean, that's why I make my son's Halloween costumes because it's like stretching those muscles. I get to make this kind of thing again in a really cool way that like someone can wear. I I don't know. There's just something about that is really exciting and there's these strange little techniques that you would have never figured out or known about unless you are doing it and then there's also cool things like this podcast where I get to talk to you about (laughs) it for an hour because it's a really cool fun job to be able to talk about and I'm always going to look back at that and and think of it in a positive way and I've thought a few times about going back like what would it be like to go back and do that yeah, again. Yeah, because I was going to ask, like, would you, would you go back? I or is it like now? Now you know what it's like to not have your feet and fingers hurt all the time. And you're <laughs> like, we're we're getting too old to go back to things that hurt. Um, yeah, because this is something like I did in my twenties, right? So I feel like this is a this is a young girl's game <laughs> or a, or a young boy's game. <laughs> you can go without sleep. Yeah, it's or it's just more of a, um, you know, I. I worked on a lot of this stuff and it was really great and I can go back and do it again. Um, but at the same time, do I need to, you know, I'm, I'm kind of my own boss now. And would you want to do something similar? Like if you were going to say, for instance, you know, if you're going to work with someone like Adam Savage on fun cosplay stuff, for instance. Oh yeah. I think I would definitely be able to like have the skills and, and jump into something like that. That does sound pretty cool but I don't think I could like go back to doing the job that I did when I was in my 20s that just seems um like a step back a little bit I'm really glad it happened and it was a great thing to work on but it's it's done you know I did it (laughs) those were the years that were is there a show that you wish you could have worked on hmm I don't think so because I can I can list you some of the shows that I've worked on. Uh, do please do please do please do. <laughs> Phantom, Squeak. Lion King, Wicked, The Rockettes, South Pacific, Mary Poppins, The Little Mermaid, Shrek, um, Bette Midler show, La Rev in Las Vegas, lots of on ice stuff. The um, New York Ooh, City that must have been so much of that like <laughs> body netting stuff because you're like I'm Moana or whatever like. Oh yeah. Well, the walker, the on ice stuff, it was most like Nemo, uh, finding Nemo on ice and, uh, I don't know, everything on ice. They had so many, so just scary there's a lot legs of spandex. sticking out of stuff. There's a lot of spandex on ice. Turns out, um, uh, the walk around costumes for the New York city recycling campaign. There was, um, a show called, Oh, I just ran across the pictures of it. Um, a spam a lot. That was one of them. There was um, this one show in Japan that they had us make all these like Dior style dresses for. And now I can't remember the name of that one. But yeah, like basically 
all the big ones. Um, yeah, I worked on Christine dresses and Scar for Lion King and like just a lot, a lot of stuff. <laughs> is a there is there any show? Did you get to see the shows? Like, does that come with the job? Do you get like comp tickets? You don't get comp tickets, but you do have access to house seats, which. Um, oh, the Sleeping Beauty Ballet did that, too. Um, Trip of Love. <laughs> that's what that show was called. If anyone ever heard of it, the um, Japanese one, I guess. Was it Japanese? I can't remember. Anyway, it was called Trip of Love. Uh, another show that won a Tony. Now I can't remember. It was very dark and it was, I only worked on it for like two seconds. Anyway, uh, but the house seats, yeah, you have access to house seats. And what that means is there are a section of seats that's basically the best seats in the house. They are like right in the middle in the orchestra, like not front row because front row isn't the best. It's like a few rows back, but they are primo seats. Um, and you had access to those basically any show on Broadway, because if your shop wasn't working on one of the shows, they knew someone in another shop that was working on it. So you can like essentially trade house seats for whatever you wanted. So whenever, um, I had family or friends come into town, you would put in a request, be like, Hey, I want house seats to wicked tonight. Um, you know, what do you got? And you was, they would be like, Oh, okay. They're available for tomorrow night. Um, there's like six tickets and do you want them? Like, yes. So you buy them, you still pay and you buy them, but they're there and you have access to them, which is really cool. So like when my, uh, my mom wanted to see spam a lot because, um, the famous dude was in it, uh, from, uh, what was that show where they sing and win things? I can't think of his name. <laughs> uh, they sing and win things. Yeah. Not the voice, but the first one. Uh, <laughs> America's Got Talent Idol yeah American Idol anyway there was an American Idol winner person in Spam a lot at one point my mom wanted to go see it so I got house tickets to that and so we went and saw it in these amazing seats so that was also a pretty great perk <laughs> that you got to pretty much <laughs> go see anything that you wanted um obviously it didn't count for like the shows that were extremely sold out because those were restricted for everybody um very few people are that special but yeah you could put in for a lot of different things that's cool is there any show that you worked on that you like you can't even see promo shots for it because you're like traumatized from too many crystals or something oh maybe shrek i don't know i don't think i'd ever see that because that was horrible like working on all those costumes and then having nothing to show for it at the end like they didn't even really make it into the show that stunk but again, that just came with the job. I'm paid hourly. You know, I do what I got to do. I was really excited when the um, Radio City musical Rockettes um, Christmas Spectacular is on because one of the three kings, I helped make like his giant cape thing. And so it's really cool to see that stuff on TV and be like, I made that. Like, I would get really <laughs> excited when I'd see like promo shots for it or something. And there's a costume that that you like put all of this like blood sweat and tears into and made this giant thing and figured it out yourself like and it's there that that's a really good feeling i need to find pictures of uh the big fake butt oh there it is i'll send those to you <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i just because this is this is so cool and it's like it's so very much like oh the, this is a chapter in my memoir of this like cool job i had like you know that time when i was at cigar roller in Paris or just like it's such a cool <laughs> job to have had it is a cool job and 
And I also like, I mean, it's, I'm not even going to be coy about it. It was a totally, it was a kick-ass job. (laughs) And I think like, I think it's objectively a super cool job. And then for me, it's obviously not on the same level at all, but like having done some of those similar things in like high school productions and other things where you need to figure things out and like, how do you make something look like something? And Mm -hmm. obviously our budgets at Point Loma High School were slightly different, (laughs) But yet, like, some of it is the same, you know, like, the collaborative nature of the thing. Like, you work up to the level that is on Broadway, you know what I mean? Like, everyone starts somewhere, and everyone works up to that kind of stuff, and it isn't so far removed that it's not, this. like, you learn bigger and better techniques, but the basics are all still the same. And, like, sometimes you need to paint the same wall three times to figure out how do you get the best something that looks like a rock with gems breaking through it and you're like trying to figure out how this will look it's just it's just so cool you're so cool Tiff. <laughs> but yeah so i can't think of a good transition anyway because i'm just sitting here like ah, like my head is tilted to the side i'm all almost have like both fists under like in a dreamy kind of Sandra D way. Well, I'll send uh, so. you lots of pictures. And um, I do know like a, a whole bunch of my coworkers who I worked with, some of them are still in the industry and some of them are still doing stuff. One of them was on Project Runway, actually. Um, Alexander Pope, if you remember Ooh. him, I worked with him at Parsons and it was, uh, it's, it's really cool. Um, and I think that everyone who had their hand in this had a similar experience of you know the ups and downs of the job especially something creative and the the stresses and the excitements of of making something like this especially for like such essentially um at a high level but it is one of those things that's like I'm so glad that I was able to do this and it really was something special to look back on and something to remember fondly it's very much one of those type of jobs where it's not something that you just like do because you need a job, at least not for longer than like 15 minutes. Like you, you don't, A, maybe you don't get a job like that, but you don't stay in a job or a workplace like that unless you, you know, are good at what you do and care about what you do. Because it's it's too much to do just like as just, um you know, a bread job. Oh I yeah. Think. This is, that. this is definitely a labor of love job. You enter this kind of job because you have a passion for something like this and it's, um, and it shows because that's like the level of craftsmanship that a lot of these things require. They require the attention to detail. They, they require the time to sit and meticulously cut out, cut out like the most insane fabric so that every single line matches up. And even though no one will ever really see that from a, from a stage perspective, they're going to see the quality of the work when, you know, the costume is hanging somewhere and on display. And you need to know that you put in all of the effort that you possibly could have to make this thing perfect. And that's, that's where it is. People aren't going to see and understand all the work you put into it, but they are going to see when something's wrong. Yep. That's the other thing. Do you have any, I just remembered something when you're talking about like the labor of love thing. Did you have any spectacular injuries? And I feel like I need to cover my ears because you all, like, it, it's going to be scary. Um, I mean, I sliced my hand open a few times with, uh, <laughs> with some razor blades. I've, um, I almost got a, a tip of a machine needle in the eye, but I was, 
I was wearing. Okay, I think you've told. I think you've told the story before. Though, yeah, so yeah. It's I was not uh, as it. It grazed me. <sighs> it got my nose. Um. Oh no, I told the story where I fell asleep sewing in my bed and got a needle in my stomach. But like it, that was fine. <laughs> I pulled it out. <laughs> um. But yeah, I put on safety glasses after that one. I was like, whoa. That was. A, I mean, that was a little close. Stab me. You would. Like, you would hope so. <laughs> by my eyebrow, like right by my nose, my eyebrow area, and I was like, and we are wearing safety goggles now because I'm stitching something <laughs> like these very thick fabrics that just constantly we're breaking needles and um yeah those little those little tips of those needles they shoot right into your eye i don't know how they find it but they do so (laughs) so yeah (laughs) so that's i think the most i didn't nothing really too bad um sewing things to myself you know realizing you're sitting there stitching with something (laughs) on your lap and you're like oh no I just sewed that to my pants and now I have to do it again (laughs) because I need to cut it off of my pants because I'm not cutting a hole in my pants to sacrifice uh, the time for this garment. (laughs) Oh, I I wanted to say, again, this is on a totally different level, but I, you know, we've talked about putting things off and and stuff because I, um, a year ago, I found this amazing vintage like 70s Fendi coat at a, a thrift market, which I got for super, super cheap because it had some appallingly bad mending done to mm-hmm. one of the hems uh and i unpicked it and like i had to take a nail brush to like get the fabric back from all of these like and it had like several wonky hems on top of each other and i fixed it and i felt so accomplished for just like a job well done which mm-hmm. is very much one of those things that like nobody's gonna notice that this now has a nice invisible seam but they definitely notice when it's bad Mm-hmm. And now I feel like, you know, I carefully unpicked this. When I put in a seam that was a little bit off, I unpicked that too carefully. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like it's it's another kind of, you know, making and doing and just being like, it was funny because I was like, mend and make do. That's an actual saying. And I <laughs> laughed to myself because I'm hilarious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that's, you know, it's it's all these little things of like, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. Sometimes if it's worth doing, it's worth doing not that well also. Because done is better than not done, but mm-hmm. done is beautiful. <laughs> but then sometimes it's like, no, that's not beautiful. Do it again. <laughs> yeah. No. So listeners, I can't promise that Tiff will answer all of your questions. But if there's anything that you're wondering about this amazing, cool, super awesome job, feel free to let us know. Thanks for listening to me talk forever. Uh, you can go find our show notes over at relay.fm slash make do. And we are make do pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can also send us an email at make do pod at gmail.com. And I guess ask me questions about costumes and stuff. And I'll try and answer <laughs> you and try and make your um, Halloween maybe a little bit more unique uh, custom couture will you anyway you can go you can find us individually I, I should clear you're not offering to make them stuff you're just no, giving them no. tips. i could i could give some tips <laughs> I, I could have some time for some tips anyway you can find us individually at tiffany Armin and at julia scott s-k-o-t-t and we will be back in a fortnight and until then go make and do and always wear those safety goggles